Man, it is good to be with you. Well, my name is Pastor Jay. I'm the youth pastor here at Westchester Nazarene, and I've been in this role for a little over a year now. And in our youth ministry, uh, we have a lot of students, a lot of great students. And with all these students, I try to keep track of when school has started for all of them. And that was a daunting task because we have 11 different schools that are represented in our youth group, which is awesome. And when I say schools, I don't mean different buildings for different grades. I mean schools. And so keeping track of all of those start dates uh, was a little difficult. Uh, I know we have the kids with us today. Would you raise your hand, and this includes teachers, if you have officially started school? I think everybody's there. Students, teachers, have you started school? Awesome. Um, I could tell the students were a little tired this morning. You know, that means school started, but they're, they're scheduled. They'll get it reworked within themselves. Um, okay, students, I need you to raise your hand again for me. If, if you are in a new building this year, or if you are going to a new school this year. Raise your hand if you're in a new building or if you're in a new school. Okay, some of you. Teachers, any teachers in a new building or new school? Awesome. Well, you know, when we enter into something new, I, I transferred to Dayton Christian my freshman year, and so this was something new, making new friends. We can get a little nervous, anxious. It can maybe be a little bit stressful. If you're anything like me, that's how I was for sure. But maybe for school, you're going from eighth to ninth grade. So your building changes, your surroundings change, your teacher change, maybe a job change, and you have a new culture, a new boss, a new drive to work, and all of these new changes you have to get used to, and it can make you really nervous. A new territory that always makes me nervous is when my family begins talking about maybe going on a vacation other than Hilton Head. <laughs> because Hilton Head is what's familiar. And, and I tense up because vacations, man, that's where I want to relax. That's where I want to rest. And so the thought of changing it up means I'm going to have to figure out all these new things and learn all these new restaurants. But I love Hilton Head Island, the best vacation spot in the world, because it's familiar to me. I know all the hidden gem eateries. I know what time we're supposed to leave so we can beat the traffic before we get on the island. You want to get there earlier, of course. Um, I know what golf courses we should play and what ones that I need to avoid. Uh, and I love, uh, I love Hilton Head also. It's where I proposed to my then girlfriend, Faith, now wife. And she maybe said yes just because we were on the beach, but it's worked out great. And, Hilton Head is a special, it's a special place to me. It's familiar. I'm comfortable there. It's easy for me to relax. And so the thought of going somewhere different, it stresses me out. Because I don't want to find where I want to go play golf. I know where I want to go play golf. I don't want to figure out where to eat. I know where I want to eat when I'm in Hilton Head. In the newness of things, and the changing of things, it can just make us uncomfortable because it's unfamiliar, and it's foreign territory. We're in segment six. We were rocking today, man. We are in segment six of the story of God, and we've worked through, and we're going to review. And with segment six, what's interesting, and maybe you've thought this, that maybe we're going to talk about revelation today. 
this is exciting. The youth pastor gets to talk about Revelation. Yeah, that makes me nervous. <laughs> Family worship, too. Um, and maybe you thought we're going to go there, and we are. We're going to talk about it. We're going to look at chapters 21 through 22 in the book of Revelation, and we're going to pull today's theme out of this. But I don't want us to miss. The big thing with today is how each part of the story is going to make today's message what it is. The five messages leading up to this point are instrumental in shaping our conversation today. So yes, we're going to talk about Revelation, but I, I share my caveat in the beginning because, and we, we joked about this in college, there's two types of people that exist. Ones who avoid Revelation at all cost and act like it's not even in the Bible, and then there's the people who like read it for their devotions or something, you know? It's, there's, there's two types of people. Or with youth group, it, or with students in general, I find it hilarious. And I've learned not to do this anymore. If you were to ask a group of students, hey, what book of the Bible do you want to study? Both hands up, revelation every time. Because it's so fascinating, it's so interesting, it's so mysterious. And so we're going to talk about a little bit about that today. But as we walk into Revelation today, because maybe it's this book that is new, it's unfamiliar territory, there might be moments where you feel a little uncomfortable because you're going to hear something new today. At least I, I hope you do in the sense that you've learned something. But we're going to walk into un some unfamiliar territory. But I say all that to say, hang with me. Because... I think you're going to be refreshed, I think you're going to be restored, and I, and I know that you're going to find hope in what we're going to talk about today. So it might be new, but that's a good thing here, okay, and I'm excited to share that with you. But first, before I get too far, we need to review. Pastor Alex did an awesome job in kicking off this series. I'm surprised, I've always wondered, is this the same apple that's been up here all six weeks? It looks pretty good, so I'm not going to take a bite out of it, but we started with creation. God created the heavens and the earth, and this was not only humankind's dwelling place, but in a way it was God's, and because God loves us, God gave us a choice. We are not forced to choose God, but we are given a choice, and that choice included something other than God, so that humans might continue to choose to love God, and of course, as you know, we, we chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and this separated us from God. This caused a broken relationship with God, and no longer were we living in paradise, but we were living in brokenness, and sin and curse and death entered the world. But because God loves us, and Pastor Emily did a great job of showing this, God continued to chase after God's people by making covenants with God people. And we saw all the different students that came up on stage and all the covenants that God made with God's people because God continually reached out to God's people to restore this relationship. God wanted things to be restored. That was God's plan in the beginning, this paradise, and God continues to reach out to God's creation, even though we get distracted, even though we lose sight, even though we choose things other than God sometimes. So God reaches out to God's people, and covenants are made between God and God's people. And then week three, we have the crown representing 
the people of God once again, choosing something other than God. All the other nations, they had an earthly king. And sure, we had a heavenly king that we were interacting with and growing with and that was leading us, but man, everybody else, they have an earthly king. And so that's what we chased after. We begged God and begged God for an earthly king and because God loves us, God gave us a choice and this is what we chose. King Saul, King David, King Solomon, and the kings go on. And some kings were, were good. They weren't too bad. And other kings we definitely, definitely regretted going after an earthly king. But because God loves us, and because God continually chases after us, you're catching a theme in the story, even though we went after the king that we wanted, God set the king we needed, and that was King Jesus. And as these crown of thorns represented, it was King Jesus who came, who we killed and died, buried, resurrected, and it was King Jesus who died for our sins so that we could have a restored, right relationship with God. We went after the king we wanted, God set the king we needed. And then last week, man, last week was awesome. Pastor Alex did an amazing job in talking about the church. Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and filled the people of God with the light of the world, filled the people of God with his Holy Spirit. And we are now commissioned as the church, as people filled with the Holy Spirit, to go and spread this light. It's still not lit because I'm not responsible, but... The people of God, the church has been established, and we've been sent out to go and be the church, to go and be God's people filled with the Holy Spirit. Section six. I would say we're about right here in the middle, right? We're about right here in the story. And what's unique now is everything to my right, all of this is... And to your left, this is history. All of this has happened. So we kind of have something to work with and how we shape this story. But everything to your right, this is new territory. This hasn't happened yet. And, And all of that kind of makes today a little more interesting. I'm gonna read for you our main text for today and we're gonna talk about it later. We're gonna read out of Revelation chapter 22 and 21 and chapter 22. And We're gonna talk about it and pull specific verses later, but I wanna read our main text for now so that as we lead up to discussing these verses individually, that you'll have kind of a framework before we get there, okay? So you can turn to the screen or open your Bible. Revelation chapter 21, verses one through seven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. 
He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, listen to this, flowing from the throne of God and throne of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river, guess what, stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will, there will not, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Revelation. Chapters 21 and 22. And Revelation was written by, we refer to him as John of Patmos, because John was on an island and received this vision. And so if you've entertained Revelation at all, and you've looked through it, you've read through it, then there's a lot of bizarre imagery going on that can confuse us and distract us. Um, but Revelation chapter 21 and 22, this is the end of the, the book. This is the end of the story. And for many of us, maybe, maybe this story at times has felt like a Friday night Reds game. And, and here's how, bear with me. Um, innings one and two, you get there, you're excited, you're locked in. Boom, creation of the world, that's exciting. And we are paying attention to everything going on, innings one through two. And especially if you're there with your kids. Then innings three through about seven, they can, you know, that's when you go see if your friends are here and you go visit your friends. It's, where you go get your drinks and your food. It's when you use the restroom. It's, uh, you know, it's like going through the book of Leviticus. It's kind of like, all right, are, are, are we to the end yet? And then we get to innings eight and nine where we're locked in again and we're paying attention. We're excited. We're waiting for that final strikeout to get us the free La Rosa's pizza. But it's a Friday night Reds game. So what are you really there for? What are you waking your kids up for, and why are they up past their bedtime? Because we got fireworks. That's why you're there at the Friday night Reds game. At least that's why I'm there at the Friday night Reds game. We've got fireworks. This is the grand finale. Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And I mentioned it earlier, but the interesting thing is this, this hasn't happened yet. And yes, we have some prophetic verses and we have this vision that explains what's going to happen. But this side of the story, it's, it's in the future. We're not there yet. Creation of the world, check. Covenant with God's people, check. Uh, going after the king we wanted, check. God sending the king we needed, check. The light of the world established, the power of the spirit within us, known as the church, Check. God making everything new. 
unchecked. So we're at an interesting point in our story, and everything that we're going to talk about up to this point, it's, it's in front of us. It hasn't happened. Under the Christian umbrella, there is um, a lot of theologies that exist. And I know theology sounds like a weighty word and maybe a scary word, but theology is, uh, I mean, you are a living theology. What you're living out, people get a theology based on how you live, especially if you proclaim Christ as Lord, that they understand Jesus through how you live and how you prioritize your life. You are a living theology. And under this uh, umbrella of Christianity, there's lots of different avenues of theology. One avenue, uh, just to help us out, maybe you've heard of this word Christology. This is the study in the theology of Christ. There's Soteriology, this is the study of salvation and what we understand about salvation. There's ecclesiology. Alex talked about that last week, whether you knew it or not. And this is the theology and our understanding and study of the church. There is a theological word specifically for what happens here. And that word is eschatology. Eschatology. Don't use that word to make friends, but um, at least put it in your information bank account. Eschatology. This is the study of the end times. And this has encapsulated so many people, people who aren't interested in Christianity or in the Bible, they're fascinated by eschatology because it's dealing with the end of time. And Revelation in our Christian circle is that book for us, but you can just Google this. People have their own eschatology, their own theory on how the world is going to end. So if you want to waste a couple hours, just Google, how's the world going to end? And you will be taken away for a couple hours. I listed some of my favorites here on how people think the world is going to end. Listen to this. There's a large, a pretty large following and group of people that believe the world will end because robots will take over the world. I've seen iRobot, it's true. Um, the world will end because everything will get sucked into a rogue black hole. I don't know what made the black hole mad, but it took everything with it and we disappear. Some people believe that the world will end as soon as whoever is sleeping and dreaming right now wakes up. Kind of the whole matrix effect sort of thing and what spurred those movies, that we are all living in the longest dream of our entire lives and then whoever's dreaming wakes up and we disappear. And then of course my uh, favorite one and a popular movie theme as well is some disease or zombie apocalypse will be the end of the world. And there is a long, long, crazy list of ways where people think or how people think the world is going to end. But as Christians, we have our own eschatology. We have our own way of understanding how God is going to come back and restore and redeem and how the story will end. Maybe you've heard the Bible verses before, there's lots of them, and I'm not going to refer to all of them, that tell us to be ready, be prepared, just Jesus is coming again. And there's this urgency in these verses. And I love these verses, they're true, but there's something I'm concerned about, is if we are right here in the story, and we've been right here for about 2,000 years, sometimes I think 
we get so consumed with when and how that the story is going to end that the urgency we live in our lives, that we live out, we live so urgently and so quickly and so consumed with when and how things are going to end that I think we miss God's eschatology because we get distracted with our own. I'll explain it this way. In high school basketball, at the end of every practice, and this was all four years of of high school basketball, at the end of every practice, the last 10 minutes, our coach would run through a drill, and this would be the end of the game drill, the game-winning shot that, you know, every kid dreams of hitting in their life. We would practice that at the end of practice. We would put three, four, five seconds on the clock, and we had plays drawn up, and we would run those plays, and somebody would shoot the shot, and of course, if we made it in practice, we would go crazy, and every, we'd practice celebrating too, and um, it was awesome. So this is, we'd run through these drills hundreds of times, running through the end game scenarios. If we were tied, if we were down by one, if we were down by two, what play were we gonna run with five seconds left? Because five seconds, that's not a lot of time, right? The end of the game is coming soon, and we know it. But then you get into a game. There's five seconds left. We're down by two points. And at least for my junior and senior year, I would always inbound the ball. I would, the ref would hand it to me, I would slap the ball and the play would get started. And the first thing I would do is I would pass it to our guard. And when our guard would get it, the play would be for our guard to dribble to the other side of the floor if we were at half court He would dribble to the opposite side of the three-point line, and with five seconds left, people assume, okay, there's not much time left. The rest of the play is gonna happen over here, and so the inbounder, me, would be left wide open because everybody is taken away. So I would step into the three-point line, our guard would skip past it and swing it over to me, and the play was I would spot up, shoot it, and hopefully make, the game-winning three. Nine times out of 10, I was open. But nine times out of 10, I never got the ball. (laughs) Here's why. In practice, every time, the guard would dribble over, we would have defenses, the guard would dribble over, I would get the pass in practice, I would shoot the shot. Sometimes we would celebrate, sometimes I would be to blame. But in the game, When it's real, five seconds all of a sudden feels a lot faster. We're a lot more urgent. And so the guard would dribble over, think that time is running out, throw up a shot, miss it because, you know, he took a tough shot. The other team would get the rebound, dribble it for a couple seconds, and then the game would be over. The guard was so worried about getting his shot off, getting the shot up, so concerned that time was going to run out that he took an ill-advised shot every time. And I was standing there, wide open, ready to take the shot. We get so, we feel so urgent sometimes that we forget to make the pass. We forget the play and all we can think about is getting our shot up. And sometimes the book of Revelation does that to us in the way that it distracts us, in the way that it pulls us away. 
I'm here to tell you, yeah, we've, we've got five seconds, if that's how you want to think about it. But five seconds is plenty of time to do what God needs us to do, if we just follow the play. So today, I want to walk through that play. How is God drawing out for us the last five seconds? What is the game-winning play, and how can we get on board with it and follow that? Earlier I mentioned the different types of eschatology. Here's, here's how I, I would really frame that. There's only two types of eschatology. Remember, that means end times, how you think the world is gonna wrap up, how you think this story is going to end. There's really only two kinds. There's our eschatology, so all the things that we have created or made up or we think exist. And then the second thing is God's eschatology. And let me, spoiler alert, the one that matters is number two. God's eschatology. Do not get distracted. You know, the book of Revelation with its symbols and vision and mysticism, it can really pull us a lot of different directions and us trying to tackle it and understand it. And that's great. It's great to dig. It's great to learn. It's great to figure out. But we can pull ourselves in a direction that God never intended by embracing some of the symbolism and mysticism and taking it and carrying it our own direction. God has an eschatology in this book and that is the eschatology for us and that he wants to follow. And it's one that you'll find of hope. So here's the three layers, here's the three things that I want you to know about God's game plan, about the last five seconds of the play, about God's eschatology, and this is the new territory maybe that I want you to enter into today. The first thing is this about God's eschatology. Point number one, a story that began with creation ends with new creation. You can't miss this, you can't forget it, this is crucial in our understanding and the closing of God's story with God's people is that a book that began with creation ends with new creation. There's paradises on both ends of the spectrum. God's end goal and end game plan has not changed. Has he maybe had to call some audibles because people don't really know what they're doing? Absolutely. We chased after kings, we ate the fruit, we've done a lot of things, taken a lot of detours, but God's end destination is the same, that we would live in paradise with him. Sometimes in Revelation we get uh, caught up with destruction or certain things. No, God's end plan is a new heaven and a new earth, and that involves you. That involves you. Uh, Revelation 21.1 says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. You know what's still there? Heaven and earth. Heaven and earth are still in the end. N.T. Wright, he says it this way, Revelation, the book of Revelation, is the marriage of heaven and earth. It is the final answer, I love this part, it is the final answer to the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come. Man, I love that. Point number one, that we need to get right with God's eschatology. A story that began with creation now ends with new creation. That's huge, we have to understand that. Point number two, following the lamb leads us to that new creation. So if it started with creation and the end goal is creation, a new creation, then how in the world are we supposed to get there? Are we just supposed to wait with our hands in our pockets for God to do all of the work? Absolutely not. 
We are agents of the new creation now. This is part of the commissioning of the church and who we're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the light of the world. We are agents of that new creation now. So where do we go? Where do we turn? What do we do? We follow the Lamb. And I love that. I love that because there's so many things in this book that can distract us and pull us and where we think, how things are going to end up in the end of the world. Do we follow robots because they're going to take over the world? No, no, no. We follow the lamb, the lamb who was slain, the lamb that was obedient, the lamb that forgives us and paid the ultimate sacrifice, that is the lamb that we follow. And we set the same example in the same path and we are agents of the new creation and bringing the new heaven and the new earth today. We can do that today by following after the lamb. This is huge, this changes everything. Revelation, the restoration of all things, what God wants to do in restoring and redeeming this world. We don't have to wait for this dream, for this person to wake up and all of a sudden all of this is going to be made new. We participate in that now. That is what it's all about in us being the church. We follow the Lamb into new creation. There's gonna be a lot of things that are gonna beg you to follow it into what you think or what it wants you to think is the right way in the right direction. Follow the lamb. If it doesn't line up with the lamb, then do not follow it. Revelation 22, verses one through two says this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Revelation 22 verse 3 says, There no longer will there be any curse. That's paradise, right? That's God's intention in the beginning with creation. No longer will there be any curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Final point, and it's simple, but it's powerful. Here's what I want you to know. Yes, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, just as there was in the beginning with paradise. Uh, yes, we need to follow the lamb into that new creation if we wanna be agents of new creation. Point number three, in case you didn't know, in the end, it's God's story that wins. It's God's story that wins. And if we want to be on that winning team, don't be so urgent that you throw an ill-advised shot up. Pass the ball. Follow the play. Get on board with the way that Jesus is going because when we're on God's team, we're on the winning team. We're on the winning team. This isn't the story of you. This isn't the story of me. This is the story. This is the story of God. So who am I going to follow? I'm going to follow God. Not just because I want to be on the winning team, but because I want everybody to experience what it's like to be on the winning team. Um, at this time, the band's going to come up, and we're going to prepare for communion. And this is, oh man, this is just a perfect, perfect way to end the story of God together is to celebrate with communion. And there's two things that I want you to know as we prepare for communion. It's going to be passed around. 
And after you have it in your hand, I'll, after the song, I'll come back up and we'll take it together. The ushers are getting ready. There's two things I want you to know about communion today. Number one is this. Here's what I want you to think about. You taking communion, I want you to think about the lamb. The shed blood, the broken body, that was the lamb of God that was shed and sacrificed for you. And taking communion, I want you to remember that, that we are following the lamb, Jesus Christ, into new creation. The second thing I want you to think of is this. In this closing song, we are, um, it's called How Great Is Your Love. How Great Is Your Love. If students who went to NYC, this was one of the most powerful songs that was played. How great, how great, how great is your love. I think the most, maybe the most appropriate way to close our time together and closing the story of God is to worship God with everything that we have, because over and over and over again in the story, God's love chases after us. We mess up, we get distracted, it reaches back out to us. We have covenants, we have the king that we needed, we have the king that died for us, we have the Holy Spirit that is given to us that we can be filled with. We have every reason on earth and in heaven to praise God for his love for us, because none of this happens, we don't get to the end if we didn't have a God who loved us. That's what you have, that's what I have, that's what we get to celebrate together, that's what the lamb is all about. It's the lamb of love. Think about the lamb, number one. Just worship Jesus, number two. So ushers, you can come forward at this time, I'll pray for the offering and then we will, or for the communion, and we will participate together. Jesus, thank you. Oh my goodness, thank you for your love, thank you for loving us. We have every reason on earth and in heaven to praise your name. As we take the elements today, help us to think, help us to reflect, help us to know that if we wanna be on the winning team, if we want others to be on the winning team, we need to follow the lamb. We need to follow you, the lamb of hope, the lamb of love, the lamb of forgiveness, the lamb of grace. That's the lamb, that's the team, that's the way we wanna go. So Father, we love you. Bless this time. It's your name we pray, amen.